becoming a mother, I learned that the food rules run deep. And whether it's our, what are you eating while you're pregnant? If you had a baby after being pregnant, what do you do when it comes to bottle feeding or nursing? Is it on demand? Is it on a schedule? What happens with first foods? And all of the rules just kept coming and coming and coming. And there was a reckoning. Hey there, my name is Wendy, and I'm an environmental toxins lawyer who is obsessed with showing women how to toss the toxins out of their life and embrace a more holistic lifestyle. I'll be dishing up bite-sized but binge-worthy episodes on all things detox, low toxin. What's that toxin? And what is it really doing to my health? I'm breaking it all down for you, separating the myths from the facts and pulling back the curtain on the products and beauty industry. You'll hear my unfiltered and sometimes unpopular, but honest opinions. No topic is off limits. We'll dive into what's really causing our thyroid issues, hormone imbalances, infertility, and more. Think of it as a crash course for all things holistic living, but for real life. You don't have to do everything. You just have to start somewhere. Let me show you how. This is the Detox Dilemma Podcast. Welcome to episode nine of the Detox Dilemma Podcast. I am your host, Wendy. First, a hello to my amazing community. I have a treat for you today. My friend Dina is here to talk about holistic-centered eating, and I asked her to join me here on the podcast so that we could have a conversation around food and diet culture that I hope starts to make its way into the wellness space. And that conversation is about how harmful it is to have rules around both food or toxins that are black or white, good or bad, clean or not clean. We are whole individuals that have different needs, wants, and priorities. And there is no such thing as one size fits all when it comes to your health. Dina is a holistic and integrative health coach who guides mothers and families all over the world to remove the chore from food and cultivate a more joyful and confident relationship with your choices. She is a rock star in the nutrition space and believes every family needs to create for themselves what works for their unique family and that you can let go of the shoulds that are stressing you out in the kitchen. As any parent out there listening knows, raising kids and feeding them nutritious food is important, but can be absolutely exhausting. She is the expert on all things food with kids, and you are not going to want to miss this. Hi, Dina. Thanks for joining. Hi. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I feel like it's a long time coming. It's been building up, and it's finally here. I'm so glad. Thank you. So why don't we start? I actually start every interview with this question. I would love my audience to hear, why is it that you do what you do? What brought you to this place? Kind of your origin story. Sure. Yeah. So I'm 43. I just turned 43. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And I like to give that context because for the listeners that grew up in that time, you know what food was like, what the conversation of food was like, the diet conversation, the fat diets, the low fat all of the weight loss strategies. It was way before the topic of wellness became a thing. I'd never heard the word wellness until I was, you know, in my later 20s. So I grew up in an environment where every woman that I knew, whether it was my mom, my grandmother, my mom's cousins, my friends' mothers, my teachers even, every single woman that I was around, that I was influenced by in any way, was either on a diet or off a diet, very distinctly one 
of those two. And so that's what I grew up with. That's what I grew up knowing was a way that we interact with food, that food is something to manage. Not so much that food is stressful from the perspective that we experience maybe today as parents, where we're trying to toe the line between all of the wellness things and your own food story and what you bring into it and what your child is eating and being so tuned in to every bite that your child is taking and how many vegetables have they had. That is not something that I grew up with. It was much more around just getting the meal on the table, but a lot of the what we call today diet culture. We didn't use that word back then. And as a really highly sensitive individual and someone who absorbed a lot of the emotion and the energy around me growing up, I took on that energy, the energy of the language, the just the whole vibe of food from these influential women in my life. And to be clear, no one was ever saying to me, Dina, you need to lose weight or Dina, you can't eat that food. And I know that is a story for many people. I just want to be clear. That's not, that wasn't my story. There was a lot of conversation around bodies, around my body, around what looked good and, and all of that for sure. But it wasn't, there was no direct weight loss message directed at me. That being said, I absorbed all of it. I developed disordered eating in my teens. And I always like to say that I always like to be very clear that developing an eating disorder or disordered eating or tumultuous relationship with food, there's many different ways we can categorize this or label this, comes from many different places. And being highly sensitive, being highly attuned to the people around you, being more of what we call now a people pleaser, wanting to be the good girl. And we all have reasons for why we do what we do. And I've learned this over the years, and I've learned that I also felt it was very hard for me to use my voice to express my feelings, to navigate these difficult emotions I was having in my life. And if you're familiar at all with chakras, the throat chakra, the part of your body that is your throat, your neck, your voice can often be used in a way of taking in food. And for me, that turned into purging my food. So I was bulimic for quite a long time. And as I share these things, a lot of this is the story that I understand today, looking back, having learned so much. But that is the origin of my relationship with food, the environment that I grew up in, all of the ways in which our emotional state, our psychological state, the soul that we come into this world being and all of the ways that that can interact with with food and with the relationship with food. And as I got older, I also had some health struggles. I had chronic digestive issues. I had autoimmune issues, which I know you and I share. And as I got older, I really started to be more in tune with my body and with what just honestly didn't feel good in my body. So it felt like all of the ways that my body was betraying me. And weight was one of those, my fluctuating weight, my digestive issues, my skin, my hair falling out, lack of energy, all chronic allergies, all of these different symptoms arose through my 20s. And I started to get an inkling of there being a better way to understand this. And so I started leaning a little bit more into integrative health and holistic health. At the time, I was living in New York City in my 20s, working in the corporate world, and really doing that New York City hustle dating. I was also in grad school at the time. I was working for a big name company and I was lost in the 
the constant obsession with food, what my next meal would be, how I would make up for the food that I ate the day before, and really, really pulled into those disordered eating patterns and and compulsive eating, binging and purging, all of that was happening through my 20s. And while I was starting to read some books about Ayurveda and about Chinese medicine and starting to understand that there were different ways to look at the body and understand the body. Fast forward a few years, I went to a school called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, where I got my certification as a holistic health coach. And at that point, I would say the disordered eating part from diet culture started shifting more into wellness culture and wellness dogma that a lot of us know about today. And as I started coaching clients, it was very much about eat this, not that. How do we go to good, better, best, looking at food sort of as a level, different leveling. And I would go into people's homes and people's New York City apartments and help them clean out their kitchens. I would take them on food store tours and we would read ingredients and learn about the good things to buy and the not good things to buy. And I had wonderful results with these clients. But a big piece there for me was that my clients still, if they had a tumultuous relationship with food, would continue on that path of somewhat disordered eating, of somewhat having still a tumultuous relationship with food. And while they had wonderful results in some ways, the deep connection in food and the ways in which they could feel joy and pleasure in food I understood was not there. And I understood that it was still not there for me. And fast forward again a few years, becoming a mother, I learned that the food rules run deep. And whether it's our, what are you eating while you're pregnant? If you had a baby after being pregnant, what do you do when it comes to bottle feeding or nursing? Is it on demand? Is it on a schedule? What happens with first foods? And all of the rules just kept coming and coming and coming. And there was a reckoning that I had when my son, who's now almost eight, was around two or three in my own relationship with food and in the culture that we live in with these heavy food rules where I realized, wow, something's missing. And I cannot harp on these individual bites of food that I take or he takes. And it's not as simple as what worked last week still works, right? If you have a child, you know that their preferences are always changing, their bodies are always changing. Every day. Yeah. And I started to realize that my body was continually changing. You know, we can talk more about all of the ways in which the timing and how the body changes. And then fast forward again another couple of years and my mom passed away suddenly. And I realized this was a big, big reckoning in my grief, but realizing that my mother took her tumultuous relationship with food to the grave very much. Even in the days prior to her passing away, she was talking about the food she was eating, the food she shouldn't be eating. She died at 67. And I just got so clear that I did not want that. And if I did not want that, I would have to really look at my relationship with food, even after years of coaching clients, even after understanding everything about why we crave the foods that we crave and eating psychology and all of it, it was going deeper in trusting the wisdom of our bodies and knowing that as parents, as mothers, there's so much 
wisdom there that we can learn for ourselves that we can impart on our children. And that's where I'm at today. And so it's still taking the nutritional information and taking the body-wise education and taking the understanding of emotional eating or eating psychology, whatever you want to call it, and my history with disordered eating and bringing that all together so that I can yeah, that I can support people to feel all of those things, to hold all of those things as true, and to feel really confident and embodied with food. Thank you for sharing. I love that. I love hearing your story. I think a lot of people can relate to so many of the different stages of growth of your life that you talked about. And I think the thing that has always drawn me to you is this knowing that we are whole beings and we can't compartmentalize pieces and portions of our life. And what I mean by that is there's this parallel between the wellness industry and the non-toxic industry where a product or something you're doing is either that's toxic or that's not toxic or that's clean or that's not clean. And in the food industry, you know, well, that's not paleo. That's not keto. There's all of these rules that are associated with the way that we live our life, but you can't compartmentalize the products that you use, the things that you love, the way you like to smell, the water that you drink, the geography of where you live, the way you grew up. Those are all whole parts of who we are as people. And you, you can't just separate out these individual decisions and put rules around them and make them black and white or good or bad. I actually think that creates a lot of guilt and shame and is very unhelpful. It does. It's the compartmentalization that you talked about, but it it also, in the world we live in today with these labels, back to the 80s and 90s growing up, it was just low fat or fat free. You know, you had, were you doing Weight Watchers or were you doing Slim Fast? You know, what diet were you aligned with? But today I find it to be a thousandfold when it comes to the dietary regimens or ways in which you do things that become almost like an identity. And then when inevitably some element of that doesn't feel good in your body or you want something that is outside of that, there's this shame and hiding, you know, whether it's wanting to go to Nordstrom and buy a lipstick instead of going, instead of buying it on a clean website or something like that, it's all the same. If you're following a paleo dietary protocol and you really want to eat some grainy cracker, how do you reconcile that? What do you tell yourself? Oh, just this once? Or can you learn about the wisdom of why you really want that cracker? And what is your body telling you? And what is the texture in there that you're craving? And if you're wanting the lipstick at Sephora, maybe you're just not finding it in all of the other brands. And that's the lipstick that makes you feel great. But you're telling yourself over and over again, you don't want it. So it's there's wisdom in all of it. And we don't have to do anything 100%. And when we try to, we're always doomed for failure. Yeah, it backfires. It really does. Prioritizing is such an important part of this conversation. And I don't mean prioritizing what other people think you should be prioritizing. And that's myself included. I try really hard to educate people so that they have the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding of what their choices are and the risks associated with those choices and the positives associated with those choices so that they can tune into what their priorities are and make those choices of what what fits into their life, what feels good, and what gives them peace of mind. And then making those choices that are best for their families. Yes. 
I love the what I just wrote it down, what fits, what feels good, and what gives you peace of mind. I think that we have to get grounded in some of those questions before we just start getting inundated because we are inundated with this expert opinion and this, you know, infographic on Instagram and this thing that you subscribe to and making all of these purchasing decisions before we know, okay, what feels most important here? How do I choose where I'm going to spend my time, my energy, my money, right? These really valuable commodities that we have. And it's the same thing, so similar, right? There's so many mirrors here of what I do with my clients, you know, what I do in any of the programs that I run is we have to as parents, because to be clear, so many of the families that I work with at this point, they're coming to me with, I have this picky eater, or my children only want sugar, or mealtime is miserable. That's I, I primarily work in that realm at this point when I'm working with the parents, typically the mothers, but my favorite is when I get to work with a couple if they're if they are coupled, is these questions about, well, how do I get my kid to eat? My kid doesn't eat vegetables. My kid won't eat enough protein. It's all of those questions, but we have to ground first in what do you most want your children to know when it comes to health, nutrition, food, their bodies. And these are, these are important questions. And they're often questions that we don't ask before we start consuming all of the information out there. So maybe you go buy a meal plan, a meal planning system, and then you start making those dinners and realizing that this, this seems like it would be the solution because it's all outlined for me and it should work. But my children don't want this, or that time of day is a crazy time and no one really wants to sit down at the table. We don't really have the energy for that, right? Like looking at all the context around why something may be going on. And maybe you're as a parent, just totally exhausted at that time of day and making these seemingly theoretically perfect meals is actually not the best use of your energy, of your connection time with your children, of of all of that that can happen at the dinner time window. There's so much emphasis on dinner. And I'm, I'm sure that in your world, you have these things that people really harp on, but they haven't asked themselves those really basic fundamental questions of what feels most important to them that can actually help guide where they should go first when it comes to reducing toxins in their lives, right? hundred percent. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the family dinner time because <laughs> I, I think this is a perfect example of what is an ideal in everyone's mind? What is an ideal situation? Your family sitting down at the dinner table, having a calm meal where everyone's nervous systems are calm. You're in that parasympathetic state and you're chewing and digesting food and you're eating all your vegetables and you're grass-fed or, you know, organic you know, me and we idealize these moments and these expectations as a culture. And as somebody who's very, very lucky, I know how lucky I am to have a lifestyle currently where that is possible for me. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I spent many, many years as a single mom working a lot of hours really busy kids with sports, and we ate at the counter in a rush. And I ate out a lot. I lived in a community where there were restaurants on every corner, you know, unlike now where I'm 30 minutes away from a restaurant. And so home cooking is the convenience for this current lifestyle because driving into town 30 minutes is not convenient for me. And so I'm in a place in my life where I'm cooking 
every day now. But that was not a possibility or an option for me, not as an excuse, but as a reality in the life that I was living years ago. And I think that that's a lot of the guilt and shame comes from this idea that better is not good enough Mm -hmm. or what you're able to do is not good enough that spirals into this shame and guilt cycle where people believe parents, especially when it comes to feeding their kids or women like you and I in our 40s and we're, we're trying to do better, we're trying to get healthier, we're learning as we go. And that changes over time as well, the things that we understand to be healthy back then versus now. But I think it makes people throw up their hands and say, well, screw it. Oh, totally. I can't do any of this. This is the most exhausting, emotionally draining thing that I can think of. And so then they order pizza. There's a default of, I just can't. These decisions are too hard. This is too hard. Yeah. you just Well, you also just brought up a couple of different things that I think are so important to highlight here in the different phases of life, what it was like when you were living in San Diego as a single mom and the difference of where you live now. The priorities, the ease of things, the convenience, your family dynamic, your children's ages, the setting in which you're living. There's so many differences here. But if we roll it back to what do you most want your children to know? What do you most want to feel when it comes to to these topics of food, diet, nutrition, health, the body, you know, they all go together. They're all connected. Then you can achieve whatever those goals are in all these different seasons of life, in all these different places, whether you're traveling, whether you're home, wherever you live, different shifting schedules, all of these things. The only constant is change. As parents, we know that what worked six months ago is not working anymore. Sometimes you're, it's even like what worked a day ago is not working anymore. Yesterday, your kid ate string beans. Now they won't eat string beans. It's always going to be changing. But if we have that baseline of what feels most important in any given season of life, then we can get rid of the shame or the guilt. We don't have, and none of those thoughts come in because you say to yourself, oh, these are my priorities right now. So I don't have to be apologetic about this thing or that. I don't have to feel badly about it. And we have to honor where we came from in terms of our food story. I shared with you some of the most salient details of my food story and my relationship with food. And that impacts every every meal for me. That's every day for me, tuning in with my emotions, understanding asking myself, what would nourish me right now? What do I most want to eat at any given time? What feels most important for me in how I'm eating and the energy around a mealtime I've learned is really important for me to feel in my body while I'm eating. But what you were saying about the picture-perfect dinner time, I can tell you after working with hundreds of families specifically on this topic, it rarely happens. It's not a thing that most people experience on a daily basis by any means. I actually often advocate, especially for families that have young children, to take it away from the table. And maybe you can sit on the floor somewhere in your house and play a game while you're eating a meal. So there's so much less emphasis on the actual bites of food that people are taking and more emphasis on connection and joy and pleasure. And then what ends up happening inevitably in 99% of the cases is that everybody is eating their food in a way that feels good to them. So without counting bites, without plating someone else's food, and there's- The pressure without the pressure. Exactly. When you remove the pressure. And so we can do this with all of these 
decisions. But if we are continually getting to the point of, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. This is relentless. I'm just throwing my hands up in the air. Like you were saying, like, screw it. I can't do it. (laughs) Then the feeling we have around food for ourselves and for our families is that it's exhausting, is that it's a chore, it's that it's something always to be managing in a way that feels heavy instead of a primary form of nourishment and a really important element of how we most care for our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to have a conversation around this topic of something personal to me, under eating and the way that our culture likes to talk about calories and limiting our calories is a way to lose weight. And the context of this is I've been working with a macro coach and I've been learning that I've been under eating for pretty much my entire life. And, you know, Noom was something that was very popular that I did. And I very vividly remember me and a couple girlfriends, we were all doing it together. I was at Orange Theory four days a week working out. I was tracking my red, yellow, green, good, better, bad foods on my Noom app. And the goal was to keep me at 1,200 calories. And it's so interesting to me when I look back at who I was in that moment, somebody who had thyroid, always have had thyroid issues. That was pre-Hashimoto's diagnosis. And the knowledge that I have now of how badly I was under eating and how that was contributing to my thyroid issue and actually making it worse and putting me in this cycle of weight gain suppressing my thyroid function. I actually read a study recently that as little as 1500 calories a day over a period of three weeks is enough to send your thyroid into suppression. It's enough to impact your thyroid because 1500 calories is not enough food or nutrition and energy. And now that I'm working with somebody who's really educated on how I can feed my body for energy and for nourishment, My biggest issue is I feel like I'm eating so much food and it was the realization of, oh, wow, I was not eating enough food for most of my life. Yeah. And so I'm sure you come across this a lot in what you do. Mm -hmm. I do. And it's all of these trends, they go in waves. So I like to add some levity and also ground in that whatever is trendy right now, will not be trendy in t- in five, 10, maybe even three years from now. There will be a whole new conversation around food, right? So now we talk about macros a lot, macros meaning macronutrients, the breakdown of you know carbs, fats, and protein, and how much of each of it that we should be getting. And these are based on, there's new nutritional theory coming out all the time. I really like to highlight, and I'm sure that you found this in your naturopathic training and in your integrative work, that Studying nutrition and nutritional science is a very difficult thing to study because bodies are constantly changing because it's hard to do it in any in, in a very controlled setting. Most studies on nutrition are done on men or postmenopausal women because from an ethical perspective, women who may be pregnant or may become pregnant while they're enrolled in a study would not be safe if you were controlling certain things about what they were eating. So, you know, I like to share just some of this behind the scenes a bit on nutritional science and what can become nutritional dogma, because in some ways it's a wild card. There's so much bio-individuality 
for each person and our bodies are, if you're someone listening to this that has a menstrual cycle, you have four distinct phases. If you have a natural menstrual cycle, not one that is guided by taking synthetic hormones. But if you have a natural menstrual cycle, you have four different distinct phases every single month and your body needs different things. Your body may need different things depending on where you're living and depending on your activity level, all these different pieces. So I like to bring this in because apps like Noom or this like elusive 1200 calorie thing that has been around for way too long, these are so blanket that they don't take into account the fact that nutritional science can often not have anything to do with your specific body and they don't take into account every individual, right? They can't. No study can. It's when we we sign up for these apps or we do these things, we don't understand where it came from and what that background is. And that's something that I've, the more I've dug into understanding these topics, the more I'm like, oh, okay. Once again, I need to just see how this feels in my body and trust that my body will give me information. It doesn't mean that we throw away all of these theories and say that it's all BS, that it's not worth anything because it is all of this information is something that we can tune into. We can say, hmm, how does this fit for me? How does it feel in my body when I'm listening to this? When someone is giving me this guidance, am I feeling like, am I feeling tension in my body? Am my shoulders kind of curling in and my body's getting smaller and tighter? Am I taking more shallow breaths or am I listening to something and like, oh, Okay. That openness, oftentimes for a lot of people, that's just like a deep exhale of feeling seen or feeling understood. And then you can move forward with what that looks like and what that feels like. But your body is also the perfect experimental laboratory, right? You know, your body, you can eat something and see how your body feels. You can shift your macros and see how your body feels. But the thing that I encounter a lot is that in this culture with advice being thrown at us so much, when we stay in a really heady space about this, what we're doing is overriding the body's wisdom and the information that the body can give because we're not connected to where we came from. We're not connected to understanding even the basics of how our body even gives us information right? Like how focused do we feel after a meal? How energized do we feel? Does it feel good going down? Do we feel satiated? Does the experience feel pleasure filled? All of those things will derail us completely from knowing how to nourish ourselves. And as parents, this is where it gets juicy. This is where it gets interesting because you can observe your children and you can observe their food behaviors and what they're eating that may or may not be nourishing them, right? They're, that maybe just might be taking them from one snack to the next to the next without actually giving them the fuel that their unique bodies need. But if we don't know what those body signals are and we don't know truly how to listen to it, then that's why we go towards this app or that or intermittent fasting because someone said that was good and because we're so, we can be so culturally obsessed with calorie restriction. It feels like, oh, I'm going to, take on intermittent fasting as the way to, it's not a diet, it's a health protocol because I've learned that calorie restriction or eating in a restricted window is great for longevity. So I'm going to do that. But if we haven't honored any disordered relationship with food or 
any history with food that is in any way tumultuous, then you're often doing it not for the right reasons. And it doesn't mean that all of these protocols can't have their place potentially in in your life and in wellness, but we have to honor that baseline first. And that's where things like the Noom app and working with a macro coach or doing any of these things can feel like the thing we should grab onto, but we have to address that underlying piece of the relationship with food and your food history first. I love that you brought that up, that me keeping a food journal has been probably, I think, the most eye-opening experience for me. As you can imagine, because you understand the autoimmune piece of it, Mm -hmm. a lot of what I teach from a getting toxins out of your home that contribute to health issues also feeds into the community that I'm a part of, this Hashimoto's hypothyroid community, where there's a lot of conversation around keto and intermittent fasting. And you're right. In fact, when I dig into the science, what I find is there all these studies are men. And for all the reasons that you gave, it, extrapolating that data doesn't usually <laughs> in my experience, doesn't usually work for women because we are so different. We have these 30-day hormone cycles that men don't have. And then the other piece of that is women have deep intuitions. Everybody does if they're quiet enough to listen to it. But women especially have this really deep intuition. And I've been keeping a journal since I've kind of started this journey of realizing I was under eating and that was contributing to some of my health issues. And It's truly amazing the things that your brain wants and you think that your body wants. And then if you pay attention to how you feel after the fact and you really honor that, you can find patterns. And so for me, having ADHD and two kids with ADHD, we oftentimes are looking for that dopamine hit for our brain. Where's our next dopamine hit? And that's usually in the form of sugar. And this cycle was something that I was really able to pinpoint and understand after starting a food journal and realizing my ups and downs of energy and mood and other things were really related to and coincided with my intake of sugar. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. That's the thing. Food is for most of us. And again, coming from a privileged standpoint, Food is, for most of us, when I say most of us, I mean listening to this podcast. It's it's accessible. It's easy. It's right there in your cabinet or in your fridge or down the street for most people. We don't have to go far to get something that we want. It's not necessarily like other substances. And when I say substances, I just mean something that we can use, that we can take into our systems to balance out something that we're feeling. That's, that's what we're, that's all we're trying to do here. That's what the body is always doing. The body's always wanting to achieve a state of equilibrium. So if something feels down or low, we're going to want something to up it. To, to bring it back up, to get that dopamine hit. If your mood feels low, if your energy feels low, right? There's lots of different reasons why you may go towards food, go towards sugar, but it's accessible. It's easy. It's relatively, I mean, food costs are getting higher, but in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively inexpensive. It's not like, oh, I could really use a trip to Hawaii right now. Instead, I'm going to go to the ice cream or the chips or whatever it might be because I'm feeling like I need something. There's a void in my system. There's something that I'm craving. Where can I match that with food? And there's so much wisdom there. And once we can have that self-compassion around 
oh, okay, I get what's happening here. My body needs something. So I can ignore that message and negate my body's messages, my body's really important messages, or I can recognize that's what's happening right now. The easy, quick thing may be a bite of something sweet. And then you get to choose, right? It's just, you're making an informed decision what you want to have, but also looking at What's been going on in my day so far right now? What's been going on in my week where maybe I haven't hit that pleasure button much at all? Maybe you've been head down in your work. Maybe your children have just been kind of going through the motions with maybe different activities or school programs or whatever it might be. They haven't had deep connection. The the things that will ignite some of those really important neurotransmitters that we need. And so knowing the different ways that you can achieve those things, sometimes I call this like a bliss list or a joy list, the ways that we feed ourselves that don't have to do with food, the ways that we take care of our bodies that don't have to do with food. And it's not to say that if you choose food, it's a wrong choice. It's just knowing what else is on the menu, what else is on your unique menu. So when you're having these ups and downs, you can honor them and you can have compassion, which leads to clarity around other choices that you can make. Yeah, absolutely. So one final topic I want to talk about is the idea of prioritizing things because you mentioned finances, people's finances. Obviously, a lot of people listening to this podcast, I am also very lucky to be in a situation where some of the things I talk about, about you know how good organic vegetables are and grass-fed meat and look where you're getting your chicken from, those Those are decisions and choices that a lot of families don't have. And there's a lot of people out there trying to feed their kids healthy foods. They are doing the best that they can with the time that they have, the knowledge that they have, and the means that they have. And oftentimes upping your protein where you now need to buy, let's say, double the amount of meat at the grocery store because you have found, and this is my personal experience, upping my protein has given me all day energy that I never really understood or had before. Mm -hmm. But that means that when I'm going to the grocery store, I am doubling my grocery store meat order. And I think that shame piece is so important to just kind of hit on again in that If you know that it's a good thing for you, your body feels good because it has more protein and you need to buy more at the grocery store, it's okay to buy whatever meat that you have available to you. And there shouldn't be any guilt or shame of, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't get all the grass fed food. I can't get, there's a lot of different healthier versions, quote unquote, healthier versions out there. And while there is truth to that, like you said, it does, it's not an end-all, be-all, and it doesn't have to be the most important thing for your family. If the most important thing for your family is that you're all getting proteins and vegetables or, or whatever it is that is your family's priority, that's okay. Yeah. I love that you said that. And it, I mean, this can be said for everything that we consume, anything we bring into our homes, anything that we put our energy towards. And I think that I kind of break it up into some different categories. If you look at food quality, which quality even inherently has a moralistic undertone. So we can talk about just ingredients or sourcing, however you want to, however you want to label that for you. Maybe sourcing is the most neutral. And then we have to look at time and energy. For some people, those are the same things for some, in some, for some people, they're different, right? The energy output for you in, in this season of life. 
and or how much time it's going to take. How much time does it take to source it? Does it require you driving 30 minutes to a farm stand or to pick up a CSA share? Or are you getting some sort of delivery to your home that really the time it takes is only maybe updating your cart on an online system? These are things that I I run a program called the Joyful Family Meal. It's just a workshop that you can buy. And we talk about the space, the kitchen space, the prep, and the meal. And these are things that are all involved with prep that a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people think prep is that hour before dinner where you're standing in the kitchen shopping and cooking. But there's so much more that comes into food prep in order for a meal to get on the table. And there's a lot of logistics and there's a lot of systems involved that depending on what your goals are in any season of life, may involve a lot, may be quite simple. It may be that you only shop at one store, you go to that one store once a week, and that's where you get your food and that's it. But most people, as they start to answer these prompts and questions and think about it, and you know, you may be realizing this even as I'm talking, there's a lot of different things involved that can take time and energy. And at different seasons, we have to honor how much time and energy you want to put in. And then there's money. And food costs have increased, right? So there's going to be costs no matter what. But depending on is is the sourcing the number one priority? Is managing costs the number one priority? Is time and energy the number one priority? We can't priority by the nature of the definition. It's prior. There's one thing. We can't have five priorities. We have one number one priority. And then you can have a number two and you can have a number three. But it does go in order. And being able to understand where you're at is another is another one of those ways that you can have compassion so that you're not feeling that push-pull on what you should be doing, but you're not doing. And I'll give a couple quick examples of how this has changed just in my life, even in the past few months. Kind of like you were saying about the food that you're eating and increasing protein. I think a lot of us are getting wind of this, this nutritional science that's coming out right now around adding more muscle to our bodies, eating more is just like you said multiple times, just eating more is a really big one. Eat, I'm eating bigger meals with more protein right now. And that is also, like you said, sustaining me throughout the day. So it's feeling good in my body while I'm eating it. And I'm noticing it's feeling really good throughout the day. So I'm getting all the information I need from my body that right now in the season of life, I should continue doing this. But I cannot continue doing that from a financial perspective always buying my grass-fed meat at somewhere between 11 and $20 a pound at the farmer's market. So the other day I was at Costco with my son and I had actually never gone over to the deli section. There's like certain things we tend to buy at Costco and I decided to go look. I actually saw it in someone else's cart. So I was inspired with an idea by looking in someone else's cart. And then I went and I saw that they actually did have some grass-fed beef and it was $4.99 a pound something around there. So definitely a lot less than like all the organic markets and things where I tend to shop. So I bought like a three pack of that meat. And so it was making a decision in that moment. It is probably not the same quality that I would get at my farmer's market. I'm certain that it's not, but it will do. I'm still also going to get so many of the benefits that are just naturally in beef by eating that beef. So one of the accounts I love is an account called Sustainable Dish. And she she just did a graphic a couple of days ago on Instagram showing like the things that are just in beef. It doesn't matter which beef you're eating, the different amino acid breakdown that's in beef. And it's just, sometimes it's just really helpful in this wellness and dogmatic world to be like, in a lot of ways, beef 
is beef. And so it can be grounding to have that knowledge and have that understanding. But by contrast, a couple months ago, my father passed away and I had had an estranged relationship with him for much of my life. And it was a very difficult relationship, but it nonetheless, he's my father and the the death just sort of, I found out about it after the fact and it just rattled me completely, understandably. And I generally like cooking. I cook all my food. I'm not one for necessarily wanting like a meal train and having other people cook my food, especially with different, you know, I have celiac and different dietary restrictions that I have, but I hired a personal chef to come into my house, which was actually much more economical than I ever imagined it would be. I picked out the recipes. I actually did, my husband did the food shopping. I picked out the recipes. My husband did the food shopping and I had someone come into my house for like eight hours and batch cook several meals. So she doubled and tripled a couple recipes and fully stocked my fridge and freezer with exactly the food that I wanted. So that cost more. It was the cost of her cooking, but it was in a season where I knew that I wasn't going to be keeping up with any level of cooking that I normally would, but I also knew that I needed to nourish myself so deeply with really healing foods at a time when I was feeling huge waves of grief. There's all different seasons and there's all different times and honoring where you're at, even like on a quarterly basis saying, okay, quality, you can call that sourcing, you can call that ingredients, time slash energy and money. What are we optimizing most for right now? And then you can make those decisions moving forward. You can choose where you're going to buy your food, when you're going to shop, how much time you're going to spend in the kitchen. There's so many more ways to do this than you've done it before. Each of us can say that, that there's there's more ways to do this. Oh, I love that. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to something really good. Let's talk about how my audience can find you and work with you. Oh, thank you. Okay, so Instagram is the just like the place on social. So it's just at Dina Barcella on Instagram. And you can also go to my website and see a lot of the different programs I offer. I have a program all about sugar. I have the Joyful Family Meal, which I mentioned just before. I have a program called Kids in the Kitchen, which is all about the realities of when we are more engaged in something, we feel more positive about it. And so this idea of serving our children, having them be out of the kitchen and then presenting this dinnertime meal to them or their lunch to them or whatever it is, and they don't want to eat it, it doesn't work for most families. The best thing we can do is give this vital life skill to our children from an early age and bring them into the kitchen. And I have a whole program where I walk you through that. I actually just culminated that program in February. It'll, we'll be doing it again in a couple of months so you can get on the interest list on my site. Or you can just DM me on Instagram, say that you want to be on that and I'll send you the link. And then I also have an upcoming program that is a group coaching program called Joy with Food. So in addition to private one-on-one coaching that I do, this takes so much of the work that I've done over the past 12 years in nutrition and working with families and individuals on their relationship with food. And then I bring it into a group coaching experience where there's some teaching and a lot of open conversation and on-the-spot coaching on a lot of the topics we touched on a bit today. So really understanding what are those messages you get from your body? How do you learn to listen to your body? How do you honor 
first and foremost, how do you honor your food story and where you've come from? What are the food rules and shoulds that you may not even realize are governing your food decisions that probably 80% of them can go? We could say goodbye to them. And then understanding, well, what do our cravings even mean? Why, why might you crave crunchy foods? Why are you craving sweet foods? What situations may you be coupling together that you didn't realize are experiences that you always couple, you know, an emotional experience with a food experience for you or for your children? And Joy with Food really is the program that is for you. It is for you as the parent to, and you don't have to be a parent to go through this, but I'll just say that the lens that I work with a lot is for mothers, is for parents, because what we tend to do is put all the emphasis on our children. How many bites of broccoli did you have? How much protein are you eating? What did you eat earlier? And what that tends to do for most people is just suck the absolute, like any remnants of joy and pleasure that you may have had, it can just take it away. So your, your meal time is not enjoyable. When you're chopping those vegetables, when you're doing whatever food prep you're doing in the kitchen, you're thinking of it more as a means to an end, getting that meal on the table versus, wow, I'm in this experience. I help you understand all the ways that you can listen to your body. And I do bring in a little bit of a little bit of wisdom from Ayurveda, from Chinese medicine, from herbal medicine and and all the different foods that we can use that are food as medicine, but not in a way of this is how you have to eat. This is your dietary protocol. It's just expanding your awareness of all of the wonderful ways that you can interact with food, but really honoring the changing bodies and getting some of that body-wise education so that you can feel confident and you can feel embodied in modeling this for your children and not modeling from a perspective of the script or the meme that you saw that you're just sort of like parroting that language or the perfect lunchbox or the perfect plate for your children, but just for your children to grow up with a mother who embodies pleasure around food. And that's what this, that's what this program is all about. I am so excited for this. I really feel like in a lot of ways, this is, it's a missing link mm-hmm. in this diet culture of dogma of all the things we just talked about, that piece that is you. That is your history, that is your story, that is your belief system, that is your needs, your wants, your desires, and the way that you operate in your life. Like it's that, it's that missing piece that will, in my opinion, help people really understand themselves better and why they make the choices that they make so that they can honor themselves in their choices in a way that allows them to feel joy, which gets to that peace of peace, peace of mind. I don't think that we can be in a restful state if we don't have peace of mind. So I'm really excited you have this program coming up. In fact, I was so excited about it. We decided that we were going to offer something fantastic to my audience. We will have a link in the show notes where people can check out your program, check out Joy With Food and see if it's something that would benefit them, something that resonates with them. So we're going to hop on a Zoom together and have more of this conversation and also a Q&A. And we can talk about both food, right? The idea of joy with food and, and continue that conversation as well as the toxin-free, lower tox or what I like to call toxin-free-ish culture as well. And just make ourselves available and answer questions and have more dialogue. I'm excited about that. So am I. And there's just so many ways that these things come together. We don't realize how much 
they're intertwined with the choices that we make. And so I love that. I love that we can just have an open, just open coaching dialogue community call with, with people who sign up for Joy With Food through you. Thank you so much, Dina. You are such a gift to me and you are going to be such a gift to my audience. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dina as much as I did. We actually continued to talk for another couple hours after I stopped recording and I wish you could have been there for that, which is why I'm so excited that Dina and I are going to be collaborating on her upcoming launch of her signature program, Joy With Food. We will be offering you, my listeners, and only you, an opportunity to join us both on a bonus Zoom call. You'll get to join us as we talk more in depth about finding balance, being aware of your priorities, and figuring out what works for you, both in the toxin space and the nutrition space. And we're going to top it off with a live Q&A. Joy with food is something I really believe every single family can benefit from, and it's actually something I wish I had years ago when my kids were little. Dina created it specifically for parents who want to have a plan for addressing food issues before they come up and to feel confident that they and their children can grow with a positive and joyful relationship with food for the long term. Joy with Food kicks off April 16th and the last day to get in on it and get the bonus Zoom call is April 12th. If you want the bonus Zoom, make sure you sign up for Joy with Food using the link in the show notes. Thank you for being here. If you found this episode helpful, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram or leave a review. I read them all. I love interacting and getting to know you better. And seeing tags on social media and reading reviews makes me so grateful and so happy. I'll see you next week.